It is a blessing to be able to be in an atmosphere where we can hear these songs sung, but we can sing them and hear them sung with life. 1 Timothy chapter 4. This morning, 1 Timothy in chapter number 4. I told Pastor, I really want to try to speak from my heart and, and more or less give you a pilgrimage that I'm on. And uh, instead of giving necessarily a sermon, and uh, there will still be preaching uh, involved in it, but I, I, won't, I hope to be able to, to communicate something that God is just doing in my life. I can't say He's done it. I, I really believe there's some things He's still doing and things I'm not even fully aware of what He's doing and why He's doing it, but it is a pilgrimage, and I, I love the pilgrimage of walking with the Lord, and I just don't want to get off of that pilgrimage, but it sometimes takes turns, and, and it takes some, some dips, and and it has some uh, inclines to it, uh, but it, overall, it's a, uh, it's, it's a thrill to watch the Lord work in any capacity. Uh, how many in here were in a preaching ministerial school? I just wondered how many would say you know you've been called to preach. Would you raise your hand? Good, almost all the guys and about three girls. That's good, that's wonderful. <laughs> Well, you understand if you have sensed the call to preach and you've attempted it and you are compelled to do it, that there is a, uh, a sense perhaps of always learning how do I do it and how do I become more effective at doing so. First Timothy chapter 4, I want us to look at a verse and we'll talk about some other things leading up to this verse. And Let's go ahead and stand please out of respect for the Bible and let's look at this verse together. 1 Timothy 4, last verse of the chapter, verse 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Thank you. Please be seated. Since transitioning into the pastorate about two years ago, after a decade of itinerant evangelism, I have faced substantial new challenges concerning the realm of preaching. And that was something I was not prepared for. I assumed that the similarity between traveling and evangelism and pastoring, the similarity would at least be preaching. But the preaching was one of the most difficult adjustments, probably because I was not aware it would be such a transition for me. And I began to get very hungry and burdened. And at times I was very frustrated. And even, I may have even experienced uh, a bit of depression in, in a sense of I'm just struggling in this area uh, now that I'm in the pastorate. And so in my quest of growth in the area of preaching, I was compelled to read as many books as I could. I was pulling out basic homiletic books and I was going back to notes that I had i come across when I was in school 25 years earlier, and, and I was just experiencing this awakening of being preoccupied with learning how to adjust in this matter of preaching and preaching effectively in this role as a pastor. And there were two books, two books in particular, that became of special help. And, and I believe these two books are the best books that I have come across on preaching. You may want to write these down. It's First and Second Timothy. And after reading book after book after book, I have come back to First and Second Timothy 
time and time again to find great help and consolation. First and Second Timothy are probably the best books ever written on the subject of preaching, not because simply that these are the inspired words of God, but also due to the fact that the preacher who has penned these uh, has uh, suffered quite a bit. He, he faced martyrdom and because of his conviction and commitment to preaching. And so when I find, hey, there's somebody whose life is on the line because of preaching the word, well, I'm a little bit interested in that. Paul faced persecution and arrest by the time he wrote 1 Timothy. And when 2 Timothy comes along, he's confined to death row. So those are the elements that really intrigued me. This is not just a hobby to him. And this is not just something that is uh, a popular thing to do. This was something that he was convinced concerning. The preeminence of preaching was without a question a life and death matter for the Apostle Paul. And so Paul's letter to the young preacher Timothy was what really gripped me and, and I began to seek to understand and try to get the essence of what Paul's conveying. And here's what I began to come away with. Paul's message to Timothy not, was not focused on the making of a sermon, but rather on the making of a man of God. Definition of preaching, there's many, but I've liked Phillips Brooks' definition. He said it's the bringing of truth through personality. Personality. The preacher is not just a communicator of truth, but a witness to that truth. That means he's not responsible just to get up and tell it like it is. What it means is he's responsible to live it because it is. It is from this platform that having engaged particular truth, you embrace truth, you engage truth, and you're transformed by truth, then the preacher is able to most effectively deliver the message to others. 1 Timothy 4, Paul's been addressing the ingredients and the characteristics of being an effective preacher. He's following chapter 4 on the heels of chapter 3 where he talked about the church. It's the pillar and ground of truth. Chapter 4, he's talking about that truth. Look at it in verse number 15. Paul says, meditate upon these things. Look at it. Give thyself, what's the word? Uh, you're going to have to give yourself wholly to it and just reading it now. Look at it, verse 15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself, what is it? Holy to them. You can't read this and conclude anything less than the fact that Paul is telling Timothy, you have to be fully absorbed in and passionate concerning this calling. You raised your hand. You feel called to preach. You need to be fully absorbed and passionate about this work. Timothy, as well as every God-called preacher, is to live with no plan B in sight. If you don't make it here, there shouldn't be a plan B. It's to be all in. Our theme in our church this year is all in. First year it was by faith. Well, that's familiar to you. I recognize that it's going to take more than just a year of faith. And I needed it more than they needed it, that emphasis. So the second year it was faith in action. I just kept referring to the fact that faith in action is being all in. It's possible to be in, but not be all in. You're in here, but are you all in? And some of you are there, but you're not all there. But uh, you know, it's, yeah, kind of, kind of the same thing. But 
But Paul says you can be in the ministry, Timothy, but you need to be all in. Paul then provides the motivation for a preacher to be all in. Look what he says in verse 15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. Be all in. Why? That thy profiting may appear to all. See, the motivation is, again, we're talking about others. It's the impact upon hearers. It's other people. We're singing, rescue the perishing. and Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. And we need to be all in here so we can be effective out there. Others needed to see Timothy progressing in his Christian faith. They also need to see us progressing in our Christian faith. They, it is a unique place, and I don't, I don't typically say things just to flatter. There's a danger in flattery. And we've got politics in the ministry like we do any other place in, in the world. And, but there are some unique things about here. And some of you are maybe just so accustomed to being here, you have blinders up and you don't necessarily see these unique things in which, but these are unique ingredients, I believe, that, that God blesses. And one of the reasons God's blessing the ministry here is because of men in leadership who are striving to grow and to be all in personally. So what you're seeing is the profiting appearing in public. And if we're not careful, we're looking for that public blessing and we're missing and shortcutting the private growth I think about uh, in the victory conference you still do the prayer meeting before then in the, the week before uh, being a part of a couple of those and it's very I, I've never heard of a place that has a national conference where the preachers a week before would fast and pray I've never seen that I've never heard of that one of the reasons is that preachers don't have time you know the song, Take Time to Be Holy? We hardly sing it because we don't even have time to sing it. It's just so slow and just lags. We don't, we're just in such a hurry. And then to say, hey, uh, could you come uh, a few days early? We like to get together and fellowship. Yeah, we may work that out, but to get together and fast and pray, preachers don't want to. They don't know how to. I remember being a part of a couple of those, and here's what I, I thought the first time I was there. I didn't know that the Victory Conference speakers were so bad. <laughs> and they're crying out, asking you to forgive them about things. And it was pretty bad in there. <laughs> you had to pray with one eye open, not sure what was going to happen to you. There were a bunch of crooks in the room. And that's why God blesses men desiring that the inward parts would know wisdom and, and that they would experience that spirit, that inner man revived. See, the fact is you cannot lead others to where, listen, you know this, but listen carefully, you cannot lead others to where you have not been. I, I, I got to a point where I know there are things I have to preach and I'm not quite there, but I don't like pointing people to where they should go. I like to be able to lead them to where they ought to go. And it's a danger for you just to hear and be able to regurgitate what you hear and have to point people to there. It's a whole lot better when you can imbibe it and embrace it and then through your own personality, empowered by the Spirit, you can lead them there. To influence others, however, you yourself must keep growing. Emulate the truth that you're exhorting. Don't try to transport something you don't possess. We believe in the incarnation, don't we? 
Well, I want truth to be incarnational. I want to experience its reality through me. And I believe in 12, verses 12 through 16, Paul is saying, examine our example. Timothy, keep examining your example. And Paul's challenge is to be fully devoted to continual development of life. Well, verse number 16 again. This is one of the verses that God has just given to me time and time again. When I get frustrated about my, my lack in being able to communicate truth and to be able to help and to be able to do what I'm supposed to be doing, I keep coming back to verse 16. Would you read it together with me out loud? Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Here Paul provides three commands and two promises. Kind of sounds like a, uh, a revival netcaster spill. Three commands and two promises. Three commands. Take heed unto yourself. Number two, take heed unto the doctrine. Number three, continue in them. And then there's two promises that come with these. But look at these commands. Take heed unto thyself. I've been going through the Sermon on the Mount as an emphasis on discipleship. Being a disciple. One who answers the call and adheres to the teaching. And Jesus was not giving something um, that was just, uh, this is popular. In fact, it will gag a person to attempt to live the discipled, uh, 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 beatitude, revived life unless they're all in. You just can't do it. It, it is impossible. And Jesus moves into chapter number 6 and He starts out with, Take heed. I mean, this is urgent. And Paul's not just saying, Hey, hey uh, uh, Timothy, how's it going? But I believe he's giving with great urgency. Paul is telling Timothy, take heed concerning your private life. We cannot afford to be careless either in our personal life or public life. We must be vigilant in both. I can't help but to see Paul's urgency here. I mentioned the Titanic last night. In, in 2008, it was the 96th. 96th year since the massive ship had uh, sank on its maiden voyage and scientists during that year had discovered that the builder struggled to obtain enough rivets and riveters so they ultimately settled for faulty materials that may have led to the ship's demise. Harland and Wolf were simultaneously building three ships, the Titanic, the Olympic, and Britannic. Each of these three ships required three million rivets that literally held them together. The shortage hit during the peak of the Titanic's being built. And research indicates that the steel rivets were the standard, but inferior rivets were then made uh, available from a mixture of steel and iron that were used on the Titanic. The new information suggested that had the proper materials been used, the Titanic might have only been remembered for its careless encounter with an iceberg rather than its enormous loss of life. Details like rivets are small, yet extremely important. I used to hear this 
when I first went to Bible college. The easiest place to backslide is in Bible college. I thought, how is that possible? We're getting our face ripped off uh, every couple days and, and being challenged uh, constantly. But then I began to recognize the fact that we're, we have a handbook and we have expectations and we can all fall in line. We look the same and we're doing the same thing. And it's easier sometimes to, to uh, uh, work on the outside and conform the outside and we fail to recognize there are a shortage of the right rivets on the inside. Let me say, young men especially, I say... I think it's okay to direct it to the young men. Joshua said, as for me and my house, if you're ever going to have the right kind of home, it's going to have to start with as for me. Examining one's life should precede examining one's message. Take heed. One of the great dangers for any preacher is to be so consumed with his sermon that he becomes careless with his own life. David, I think, is an example. Remember David, when he was in his fallen and backslidden state? You remember the story, Nathan, the prophet, comes in and he confronts David about his sin. He confronts him using the story of the man with his pet sheep uh, and, and, and another man who has all the sheep he could ever want. You remember the story? Are you with me? And, uh, and remember David... David counseled right. David answered right. David was able to hear the preacher and give the right conclusion, which reminds me of the fact that it is possible to counsel right, to say right. It is possible to preach right and not be right. My wife has a passion for double-stuffed Oreos. I was supposed to go to the store and get double-stuffed Oreos, and I saw in the package even better. So it said even better. Apart from the fact that it has hundreds of varieties. You know, I don't like going to the store. Uh, I go to the store, pick up just two things, and I find that they have a hundred varieties of those two things. And I'm sending back more text. Is it this one or is it this one? Well, I thought I was pretty good on this Oreo one. She likes the double stuff, not the single stuff, the double stuff. But I saw one that said even better. Well, I got that. How can you go wrong if it's just an Oreo? It should be just an Oreo. <laughs> Have you ever tried taking back a package of Oreos with the receipt back to Walmart, standing in that long line just to return a package of Oreos and try to explain to them that even better is not really even better, not to a pregnant wife it's not even better. <laughs> We may look okay on the outside. We may have the right package. One of the things I find missing, even more so in the pastorate, is just this simple word, ethics. Ethics. 1 John 2, 6 says this word, ought. He that abideth in him ought himself also. I think ethics is just doing what you ought to do. I just assume that every pastor is going to do what they ought to do. I mean, we have... People, I've been working hard to get people in and people saved and people discipled. I've been working hard to get people in into the membership of Canaan Baptist Church. I've also been working, I think, in helping some other churches' membership as well. <laughs> and we've had some go to some other churches. And, and uh, I, I just, 
I just assumed I'd get a phone call from them. I've actually called other churches, let the pastor know, hey, you have somebody visiting, and, and, they, and they really get ticked off at me. And I realize we're lacking in ethics, doing what we ought to do. But don't ever expect that you'll do what you ought to do when you have a position if you're not doing what you ought to do right here and right now. It's sad when a man like John Maxwell in this business rim, leadership rim in society talks more about ethics than so-called men of God. No matter how talented, rich, or attractive people are, they will never outrun their character. The heart always matters. If preachers would adhere to Paul's sequence for Timothy, then the tragedy of becoming shipwrecked it can be avoided. Charles Haddon Spurgeon's classic lectures to my students. Has anyone read that? Has that ever been in your docket here? Some of you have read it. And Spurgeon entitled the first chapter, The Minister's Self-Watch. And it was 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16 that was his text. In that first chapter, Spurgeon said, I quote, For the herald of the gospel to be spiritually out of order in his own proper person is both to himself and to his work a most serious calamity. And yet, my brethren, how easily is such an evil produced, and with what watchfulness must it be guarded against? End of quote. The American evangelist of the 1800s, Charles Finney, used to preach on 1 Timothy 4.16, and the title of his sermon was, Preacher, Save Thyself. It's needful today. I'm tell you, I went to a Bible college like any other Bible college. No Bible college is exempt from the same tragedy. But I went to school with people just like those in here who had sacrificed thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and years claiming that God called them and, and with every evidence that God called them to the ministry. But today, many are out of the ministry, not only out of the ministry, but, but separated from their families because they failed to take heed unto thyself. The failure to obey this command and keep a critical eye Upon one's personal walk with God does result in stunted marriages, even divorce, personal defeat, moral failure, shameful conduct of all kinds. It's a destroyer of the servant of God. But notice again, he says, take heed. You see it with me? Some of you are going to have to wake up, verse 16. Take heed unto, what's the word? And unto the, what's the word? Doctrine. At least we see the importance of the Word of God. I can know Greek and Hebrew. Well, uh, my, my grades would show that I don't know Greek and Hebrew, but I, if I could know Greek and Hebrew and theology and the ethics, ethics and the basics, it is possible to still fail. It is possible to still fail. I will not ultimately, listen, help a grieving mother by my counseling techniques. She needs the comfort of the Word of God. I will not ultimately help a skeptic because of my apologetic skills. He needs the truth of the Word of God. I will not ultimately strengthen a congregation by my pulpit presence, men. They need the authority of the Word of God. It is the Word of God that we must know. It alone gives life to our people. We have nothing to offer if we're not grounded on, saturated with, focused on the truth of God's Word. 
Dr. Griffith Thomas says that all the Bible deserves, listen, all the Bible deserves our careful consideration, our constant meditation, and a complete application to our lives. I'll tell you one of the things that God heavily dealt with me about. I mean, it, it just tore me to shreds because I know He was right, and He's always right. But the thought that spare time Spare time is not adequate for the study of Scriptures. Spare time is not adequate for the study of the Scriptures and the ministry of the Word. One truth that I think if we can get a hold of will help right where you sit, right where I stand, and that is this. You can't cut corners and be blessed of God. You can't cut corners spiritually. You'll either learn what you need to learn right here, right now, or you'll cut corners only to make it up later. You can't cut corners. God won't let you. You can fake it, and you can get by, and you can put more of an emphasis on your abilities and your giftings and all of these things, and seemingly get the accolades of others and the awards, and, and you can get all those things, and while somebody else may be working and taking heed unto themselves and, and focusing on the Word of God and being led by the Spirit of God, and they can look and say, I don't get the recognition, I don't get the promotion, and I don't get these things, and these others, and they're not right on the inside, and they don't have a walk with God let me remind both of us both on both sides you can't cut corners you can't cut corners you can't cut corners spiritually God won't let you I mentioned the other night and there are many of these instances but in my life and in my realm of influence growing up three major churches no longer exist in Charlotte North Carolina Northside Baptist Church, it is still there, but it's nothing like what it was under uh, the leadership of Pastor Jack Hudson as an independent fundamental Baptist church. It's nothing like it today. And then we have Highland Park Baptist Church, not even in existence in Chattanooga. And then under Curtis Hudson, this church doesn't even exist today. I say that a ministry like this, as blessed of God as it is, and your involvement, your ministry here, it cannot last if we cut corners. And Paul says, take heed unto thyself. Look at it, verse 16. Take heed unto, what is it? Try it again. Take heed unto? And unto thee? And then he says, continue in them. Which means you graduate from college, you never graduate from taking heed to yourself and to the doctrine. That means that this revival emphasis that you hear, it's not just a, a Baptist College of Ministry thing. It's not just something that is uh, emphasized in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. This is something that you're to continue in. This is what Paul told Timothy. You're to continue in these. You will only become shipwrecked when you take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine and you cease to continue. As long as you continue, you will not become shipwrecked. As long as you continue, you will not ever lose the blessings of God. It doesn't mean your life will not be uh, uh, a storm free. No, no. What it means is your life will be storm proof that you can experience the blessings of God no matter what. But notice with me 
in closing the promises that God gives. If you take heed to yourself, you take heed into the doctrine, and you continue in them like a disciple is to continue. In John chapter 8, notice these three promises. And these three promises uh, are equally invaluable as these commands are indispensable. Notice he said, for in doing this, in doing what? taking heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine and continuing them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Obedience to these three commands involve the preacher's heart and walk with God. But God is promising. Some of you need this reality. God is promising deliverance for yourself. Some of you are struggling with some habits that you've been mm, kind of freed from for a little bit, but then you keep relapsing. God says you can have deliverance for yourself. If you want to see victory in Jesus to be more than a song, but you want to see it to be a reality, take heed unto yourself. Take heed unto the Word of God and continue to do so. And then you're going to find deliverance But then he says it's not just deliverance for yourself, but for those who are going to hear. Those that you stand in front of. The ones who need it. The ones who only have heard the message but maybe have never experienced the reality of this. There are not many places like this place. And you're going to be confronting, be surrounded by people who don't just need to hear what Jesus can do. They need to experience the liberating work that Jesus can do. But it's going to take you, it's going to take you taking heed to yourself and to the doctrine, and continuing in them. So the question that I was faced with in my office was, I'm not at revival meetings while there at the church as a pastor. I can't preach, and it's hard for me to explain it because I don't necessarily understand it, but I, I recognize I can't preach in the pulpit as a pastor like I do in a revival meeting and and I was grappling with how do I want to preach? God, how can I preach? How am I supposed to preach? And here's my conclusion. If I'm to take heed unto myself and unto the doctrine and continue in them, I'm going to experience deliverance for myself and for those who will hear. I want to preach so that When I stand, my conscience is clear, my heart is to be clean, and I have a solemn commitment to the very message that I preach, so that when I stand to to deliver truth to people, I will also be able to demonstrate that truth before the people. That's how I want to preach. Would you bow with me, please? Lord, I do ask that you would help us to understand the gravity of not cutting corners and to soak in and absorb the very words of a man on death row and facing death is giving to a a young preacher. Lord, may we not just see the King James English here as something of eloquence. May we see the urgency in these words of take heed. 
Lord, I do pray that there would be some delivering taking place within hearts and lives of young men and young women today so that hearers, lost, saved even, will find deliverance in the ministries that you're preparing them for. But not just down the road, but even in this immediate context of Bible college training at Baptist College of Ministry. Lord, would you do it? Would you do what only you can do to awaken us to the reality of these words? And we'll thank you for that. Give Pastor leadership as he continues to, to guide and direct and Dr. Jim as they continue to steer because of the great dangers that are lurking and the, the great deception from the great liar, the evil one, I do pray that you'd help us to be ever so vigilant taking heed. In your name we pray, Pastor. Still down. Not a few